Hello. Hello. Who is this? Um, who this? Who this? Who that? <laughs> New who phone. That? Who did? Who this? Who this? Oh, Don. I. 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 What? So for for our listeners, you know the the shut-ins and uh, the people that we love um, who listen. Uh, some of them are familiar with the uni- the mechanics, the mechanisms uh, associated with the university. Some of them are not. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of <laughs> l- l- information here. Uh, sometimes the university system's a little, uh, little bureaucratic, a little slow. Huh. Is, is that something new to you? Yeah, my my university is a model of efficiency. <sighs> I, I I never um, we uh, we have hovercraft um, <laughs> and teleporters, and uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about, Don. All right. Um, Inside baseball, a little inside baseball. So, so I'm running this study, and I'm not going to give you the particulars, but for this study, I needed to recruit people, or we need to recruit people, because because we have people that are going to come that we're going to study. Sure, I, you you do uh, what they call uh, social science. I, uh, yeah. You need you need people for that. We need people for that. We can't. It's not like I can just go to my fridge or my freezer and get my participants. For you, right, like you do, I know. I have it. My my work is so easy compared it's to your. So work. easy. They're all right there. You don't need them to email anybody. So so I needed people. We need people to email us um, if they have questions about the recruitment on the study, and they can phone, and they can go to a website that has the screener, and the screener is that's inside in, inside baseball four. This is the thing that they're going to click on to say. Uh, answer some questions to see if they're in in the study or or qualify for the study or not qualify for the study. And so we wanted an email address from NC State. So it didn't look like we were a bunch of like weirdos that were just right. like, you know, so it wasn't like an, a Gmail account. Yeah. And we've created email addresses for this exact purpose before. But this time, um, now we're managed by Google. Because we are a Google place, got it. And in the past, it was all like, it, like it wasn't like it wasn't corporate. It was like I went to my corner, uh, my, you know, store. I was going to go buy appliances. Yeah, and, and your, was, your corner email address store, where uh, Joe, the proprietor, and yeah. he has he has a one of those uh, green eye shades, and he's got those little things that that roll up his arms, yes. and uh, you'd you'd come up and you you ring the bell and you say, "I need an email address, Joe," and he said, "Well, wait a minute, I think I got one here in the back. Let me dust it off for you." Yeah, yeah, but he but he'd say like, "I got I got uh, an email address that says this. I got an email address that says that. You know what? What do you want? What are you looking for?" Um, and, and now we, we, I have, I've got Joe. It's like, I went to see Joe. Um, but I went to see Joe through a series of email. No, not even email conversations, message board conversations that were triaged into tier one and tier two responses. And, and I tell you that with, with no understanding at all, what any of that means, but that's what I was told. So you had to file a support ticket. I did. And, (laughs) and I had a support ticket and it says, don't reply to this message. If a response is required, use the link. So I'd respond. I'd go to the link and I'd re- reply, and all of this to get. Uh, and and so so when we went from tier two to tier one, it was because I wanted an email address that had said something very specific, and and someone said, well, that's too generic, and someone else might have that want that email address, and I said, well, we need it to be generic because we don't want people to be scared off, and and then finally. Finally, at 2.01 p.m. today, uh, Mr. Google 
responded with, oh, yeah, that's no problem. Here you go. Done. But it took maybe 45 messages on a message board uh, to, to get there in between uh, Friday and right now. And, and Don, all I wanted was an email that, was, that said something very specific. Well, but very specific and also incredibly general. It sounds like Incre- incredibly general, <laughs> incredibly Don. It's it's not very it's, specifically general. Yes, and I'll tell you what it said that is so generic. I wanted kitchen study at ncsu.edu. <laughs> not, not uh, like anything else. That, but it's so so generic. Anyway, I don't. I don't like not like study. No, at NC. SU. Not like kitchen. Participants at ncsu.edu. Recruits. Nothing like that. Kitchen study at ncsu.edu is what I wanted. Well, and here's the thing, Ben. If anybody else is doing a kitchen study, it's probably you right. in the future. Right. Right? Right. Uh, or if not, it's probably somebody that knows you. I'm sure you could work out a deal where you could, yes. you know, trade the address or something. I don't know. This this seems uh, – this seems – Hopeless. It, there was, it was hopeless. And, but anyway, I don't blame, I don't blame the people who are incredibly nice in, in this whole conversation. And just in case they listen to this, they're just, they're just cogs in the wheel, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not their fault. It's the man. It's, they're doing it's, their you're job. Being, you're being impressed by the man. Yeah, and the man's and, trying and, to keep you down. And I hate, I do not like to make phone calls. Um, I like, I like, do I like to text? I like to send um, emojis. Uh, I lo- I like message boards, but th- in this situation, I really needed to just talk to somebody. And when I did talk to somebody, it was resolved within an hour. Hmm. So you, you had to use the telephone. I used the tell. I tried to use the telephone four times, Don. Mm. The, on the fourth time, it it worked. Um. So so anyway, we have we've got what we we're. <laughs> what was did you forget how to use it? Were oh, you pressing no. the button? I used it correctly. Okay. I just couldn't get to the right person in the decision tree. I see. And then I got to the right person and it was awesome and it worked. And and here we are. But it but that's that that is uh, why we started at two oh nine instead of two o'clock. Because I, <laughs> I was not missing this phone call. And 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 and, and plus the, the ten minutes it took for you to tell me the story. Oh, yes, yes. Which was yes. which was well worth it and a little bit of a glimpse inside the, the university uh, world. Yep, yeah, exactly. And uh and it got me. It got me started thinking about what other things we want to talk about today. But anyway, uh, yeah. So welcome, welcome to the world of universities, where, as I described to a couple of my students today, things are extremely efficient and never slow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially, just you know how long it takes you to create a new email address, like literally with Google, that if you don't go through the NC State. Uh, uh, process like if you just wanted to sign up for a Gmail address, Don. Do you know how say to- say something like kitchen study ncsu at gmail dot com. Yeah, yeah. How long yeah. does that take? About a second. Yeah. About, about five. Like how long can you, how how quickly can you type it? Yeah. I get work. I got worked up. I was I was someone worked me out hard. I think worked out. Is that what that's that's what I read on Twitter? Uh, something about that. Uh, a- anyway, so so we're here. We're uh, uh, we're I, I have old yeah, we're coffee. Not, we're not we're not queer, oh, we're although not. we there's nothing wrong with that. No, and and I'm uh, yeah. We, it, we I'm cool. I'm bummed. They took away the pride uh, thing on Facebook. Uh, what I don't like, know what that is. Oh, it, like they had a thing um, last month where you could instead of putting a heart or a thumbs up or an angry yeah. or whatever. 
but a pride. And and it and it finally came to my Facebook, and then it went away, and I'm sad. Is that because it was it was Pride Month in June? Is that why? I, I, I think I think that's the only time you're allowed to be proud. Ben. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I don't put any other things. I only put thumbs up. I'm old school like that. Mm. Um, I and, figured a millennium like you would be all over this new you, stuff. You know, it turns out I'm not a millennial. Did you know that? <laughs> and I'm also not a Gen Xer. Ooh, you're an in-betweener. I am, and it's called something. Oh, mm. I just saw it. Um, it was on, you know, it was on something like uh, BuzzFeed or... Or, or something. Anyway, I we um, uh, what I remember from the article is we carry the cynicism of a Gen Xer with the optimism of a millennial. Huh? That that well, that, that if with with enough with enough teamwork things will work. But we're cynical about the world, and I yeah, actually think not, that, that describes that, me that, fairly I, well. That describes me pretty well too. I but uh, yeah. So I I think I was. Born like right at the very, very, very end of the baby boom, so I really don't identify as a boomer. But I don't know what comes after baby boom. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't, Gen I don't, Xers. Gen X, okay, yeah. so yeah, so well, because you were anyway, you were born when, uh, in the sixties, late sixties, mid sixties, early sixties, early sixties, and I think Gen X, they're like uh, uh, seventy one or something. Okay. You ever read? Yes. Gen, do you ever read Gen, Generation X? Douglas Is Cole, that a Copeland book thing? Yeah, it's. Uh, um, no. It's actually it's it's quite it's quite good. Um, it, it, I you know we we've talked in the past about um, how I like uh, and and you like as well just styles of of prose that that come along with authors like like Hunter S. Thompson has it's just a pleasure to read what he writes not about the content just it it makes you like the style yeah the yeah. style is so very is very interesting Douglas Copeland I, I put into that mm. um, for me as well like he has a very specific um, style of writing. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, check it out. Uh, tales for an accelerated culture, uh, was published in, uh, uh, this is you. It refers to those born approximately from, uh, ni- the early 1960s to the early 1980s. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for generation X and generally the starting date is 1965. So I was born in 61. So, but I, I really, I really don't, I don't know. I'm an in-betweener yeah. I think because I don't really identify with the baby boom generation either. So, well, Douglas Copeland was also born in uh, 1961. So, oh, how about are, that? You guys are birth, birth, uh, birth, your buddies, birth, birth, your, birth your buddies. Yeah. yeah. There you go. How about uh, that? So anyway, I would, I, I'd check, I, I would check that book out. It's quite good. Um, okay. As I move my microphone close to me and shake, I can, I can, he- I can hear that. Uh, yes. Um, I'm, uh, my microphone is is no longer on a on a shoe or a boot, huh. um, and it's not on a microphone stand because it is at home. But it is oh. on a stack of books, uh, which I oh yeah, which so is- you're. You're podcasting from home. I'm no, no. I'm, I'm podcasting from my office, but I moved the boom mic to my home. Oh, oh. So your kids can swing on it. Yes, so they can swing on it, and uh, I have a much better setup now in a room that they don't need to go in. Hmm. Um, that's what you think. Yeah. Well, it's that's how it's set up. It's, they they will go into it, but they don't need to go in there. Where before ah. I was podcasting in a room where they were we were using it as like a secondary TV room, and right, right, they right, didn't right. Need to go into it. Got it. Speaking of uh, speaking out of a shoe or into a shoe, um, I was driving with my with my lovely wife to uh, uh, Kinston, North Carolina, which is uh, a, a town about seventy five miles, eighty miles from from Raleigh, and to go to a restaurant called Chef and the Farmer with this from uh, this um, restaurateur 
and a chef, um, Vivian Howard, who who I I, I kind of know. Uh, she came and gave a talk um, here in our department. It was fantastic. Uh, and, and anyway, she has this this restaurant um, that is featured prominently in a PBS uh, story called uh, A Chef's Life. I think it's called. Um, anyway, Danny and I went to eat there last week and uh put put the ipad pod on uh on shuffle and uh our conversation i think it was episode number 75 but our conversation from two years ago this week with uh, merlin Mann came up and we listened to about 20 minutes of that podcast and and i found it fascinating i don't i you know we i don't often listen to our back catalog um, and I say often, I never listen to our back catalog. Um, but it was, it, it just reminded me of that conversation. It was really enjoyable. And then Danny, after 20 minutes, was like, How can you listen to this? First of all, it's you. <laughs> uh, you live this, and it's making me nervous listening to it just because you might, me- you might mess up. <laughs> what now? Yeah. She's like, I just, I don't know what you're going to say next. I can't, you know, I don't know if it's going to be good. And it's making me, it's making me uncomfortable listening to you listen to yourself. And I was like, well, I, it was good because I, I lived it and, it, and it was a great conversation. She's like, yeah, let's listen to music. Huh. That's, so, uh, that's it, weird. So I, I, I'm still – I'm, I'm having trouble understanding like what was the source of her anxiety. I, I don't know either. And then we listened to um, I think the Avet Brothers and she was much more calm. Hmm. Uh, so yeah. So, so that's uh, Food Safety Talk 79. 79 you're in botulism okay. country with Merlin Mann. It is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And it wouldn't be, I mean, it's canonical, but it wouldn't be the episode that I would send people to, to listen to first. Right. Uh, because it doesn't, I mean, it's a, it was a different type of episode. We don't, we don't have people on all the time. Although that's not what some people would say. Some people well, who are big fans of the podcast, you know, and this is this is a very Merlin man ish topic because Merlin and, and and John Syracuse, who does a podcast with Merlin, uh, often talk about what is your favorite episode versus what is the best episode uh. versus what is the episode that you tell someone to start with of a thing. Right. And those are three very, very different things. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yes. So. What what would you tell people? We we've had this conversation, but a while ago. What would you tell people to listen to if they're you know it's food safety talk? Uh, sorry, you're you're at a you're at a conference, you're at a meeting, you've just given a talk. At the end of your talk, you say, "Hey, I have a podcast, food safety talk. Go check it out. We talk about things like this sometimes." And then afterwards, you're you're in the reception, you're walking out. It's lunchtime. Someone ta- stops you in the buffet line and says. I, you know, I just got into podcasts. I, I, I listened to a bunch of them. Where would you start with your podcast? Well, I would, so I'm, so, and again, there's like no one listening to this probably, except maybe Mike Batts understands this reference. This, my, so my answer to this is going to be very uh, Syracusan, uh, right? So I'm referencing uh, John Syracusa, who does a wonderful podcast with Merlin Mann called Reconcilable Differences. I'm actually just in the middle of listening to an episode right now. Um, but John would say, what you do is you start at the first episode and then you listen to them in order from the very beginning. So, right. so that's the first answer I would give to someone. And then the second answer I would give to someone is just start with the most recent one and see if it's for you. And if it is for you, then keep listening. And if you have time, uh, work through the back catalog, you can pick and choose. I don't think, 
I mean, obviously there are, as with any uh, podcast, there are references and inside jokes, which you only will get probably if you start from the very beginning. But I would say that pretty much anybody can jump in anytime and um, they'll find something that they like if it's for them. And if it's not for them, hey, no, no harm, no foul. Okay, well, that's, that's a good answer. I like that. I do. I, I think the most recent one is reflects our current thinking. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. as the show has evolved. Um, it's like, well, here's here's where we're at. Um, I there are like there are certain things that we've talked about that I like that I don't I couldn't like point to it in the catalog specifically and be like, go to go to episode 90 and fast forward to like 26 minutes, because that's when we start talking about the bearded dragon. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, like that. That and and where 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 it's a really interesting discussion because it's stuff that that doesn't come up all the time and and it started from this FDA inspection. Like, I'm, and I'm I'm like totally cribbing this because I'm looking at the FSD website, but stuff like that. I'm like that was a really good. Like, I I remember having that conversation and thinking this is funny stuff, and it's got like like uh, a food. Uh, a a risk discussion associated with it like uh you know maybe uh maybe there are more dragons maybe you should wash his hands anyway whatever um but i do maybe it's a support dragon maybe it's a support dragon i do like (laughs) our service dragon to to quote to quote the episode title yes um i i also think that we have in in multiple uh episodes especially in the in the real time when it was happening we talked a lot about chipotle and that evolving there's a story arc right that happened over five or six episodes and um and i think that's an interesting historical look for us to to look back on but i'm sure as hell not going to go listen to these things again unless no (laughs) well i you know i listened to i listened to exactly uh one and a half uh of uh, episodes of every episode or uh, no i'm not saying that right i listened i listened to the i listened to the one that when we're recording it obviously and then i re-listen to the ones that i do the audio on or the the i do the show title selection on and that's and that's about it yeah yeah but hey, while we're talking about uh, listeners and listener feedback, um, I uh, I want to reference a particular listener, and this is so you know of course I think we both ha- we've talked about we've had the experience of someone coming up to us and saying hey I listen to the podcast you don't know me but um, and and that's awesome and people should definitely do that um, if we're coming up on IAFP week and so if we are um, at a, an open bar uh, you have a standing offer to buy anyone a drink at an open bar Always. if they're a podcast listener um, so so please uh, get your free drink uh, from the free bar um, if you see Ben um, but I want to give a shout out to a particular and this is the first time this has happened so someone that I know, okay, a colleague of mine, uh, I'm on her mentoring committee, and I don't know if she listens or not, uh, but her name is Meredith uh, Melendez, and she's a county agent um, in Mercer County in New Jersey. And uh, we do, we've done some work on food safety together. Uh, we've got a, a paper um, that uh, will get published at some, actually, I think we have one paper together and maybe another one that we're working on. But anyway, she's, she's awesome. I'm on her mentoring committee. I think she's in, in good shape to get to on track for tenure. Uh, we, uh, we had a meeting just the other week and she shared with me 
that she was sitting next to someone at a meeting, um, uh, at the CPS meeting. And this person, and I, I think I've got this right. This person turned to her and said, Oh my gosh, you're from Rutgers university. Do you know Don Schaffner? I love his podcast. Oh my so, gosh. So I want to give, I want to give a huge shout out, uh, and, and apologies if I got the story wrong, Louise, but I want to give a huge shout out to Louise Ramirez, uh, from primetime international who is probably, uh, hopefully Louise, if you were driving, when you, when, when you heard this, you didn't drive off the road, uh, from shock, but anyway, uh, uh we're so glad that you're a listener. Thank you for sharing that with, uh, Meredith. Uh, hopefully it's okay that we shared your name on the podcast cause it's too late <laughs> to fix that now. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, thanks for listening and uh, we really do appreciate it. Awesome. Cool. And I think Luis has, has like, uh, tweeted at us in the past and we've uh, oh. talked about some of that uh, oh, awesome. quite a bit. Good. Yeah. Oh, very good. Well, see, I uh, see, I don't even remember any of that. So That's... I'm glad that you remember. I'm yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a history buff, Don, especially when it comes to the history of the podcast. I'm a arc. I'm our archivist. Our, our, I don't know if that's. I'm an. I'm an anarchist. Archivist. Archivist. Uh, uh, archivist. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so should we do some more listener feedback? We should totally do some more listener feedback. Okay. Um, I want to. Well, you tell me what what you want to talk about in the listener. Well, I was feedback. gonna be in in very Syracuse fashion. I was gonna go to the earliest bit of listener feedback, um, which oh. is from Stephen Grove. Uh, who at the time he sent this had just listened to episode 127, uh, and he has a couple of uh, feedbacks. A couple of feedbacks, yes, that's a technical term. He has he has some feedback on uh, garlic and oil, uh, or or Clostridium botulinum, and then he also has something on hand washing. So um, yeah, so so what uh, Steve and so Stephen, um, uh, I. First met Stephen, I think, when he worked at uh, IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology. We were on a, a grant together um, uh, on uh, norovirus. This was before the NoroCore project. Actually, this was a project that was a uh, USDA-funded project that actually Cindy Stewart, who I believe is now currently the president of IFT, this is a project that Cindy actually did the legwork on the grant um, and then soon after that left IIT and went on to uh, bigger and better things. But um, Stephen uh, at the time was at IIT. He's since moved on to uh, a job at Nestle, but uh, he is a, a listener uh, of the podcast and a great guy, and, he, and we will see him at uh, IAFP. So so, Stephen, thanks, uh, thanks for the feedback and looking forward to catching up with you in Tampa as well. So he says, whenever I think of the risks associated with lard or oil, uh, I associate it with the Clostridium botulinum linum outbreak from the 1980s. Um, and this is a really interesting outbreak because these were onions that were basically fried up in a bath of margarine and kept at perfect incubation temperature throughout the day. And so this is an example of how you can achieve um, uh, anaerobic conditions in a situation w that you wouldn't expect would be anaerobic. So in other words, a bunch of um, uh, onions sitting in margarine at room temperature all day is actually sufficient to generate um, conditions where you can get a growth of Clostridium motulinum. And of course, uh, Stephen very helpfully provided us with the uh, uh, MMW, link to the MMWR uh, page, if I can just uh, type the URL correctly. Uh, so uh, this is um, um, uh, Foodborne Botulism, Illinois is the title of the uh, uh, is the title of the article. So really interesting outbreak, um, just from basically onions sitting, sitting on a, a warm, uh, countertop all day. So, or a warm, uh, uh, uh stove all day. So cool There's, stuff. Yeah. That, that outbreak. So I did a little like further digging, 
um, on it because I was I hadn't I, I I wasn't familiar with this until Steve sent it. Oh, okay. I, and I really like like I kind of this you know since I'm an archivist, um, I I really pride myself on old bot outbreaks. Like I the there was a, a restaurant outbreak that happened in Detroit in the '70s uh, that was linked to um, jalapeno peppers um, that that someone had, had basically put into jars and put into the basement because of a shortage of peppers. And instead of like, like adding any, like pickling them, they just like thought, Oh, pickled peppers are water jar pickle or peppers and just put them at ambient temperatures. But anyway, this one, so there's a, we'll, we'll link uh, both to the MMWR, but also to, there was a JAMA paper that came out in 1985 on this uh, outbreak and it is um, – so it was raw, fresh onions that were served on a patty melt sandwich at a local restaurant. And so, so you can kind of envision that you've got these raw onions that are that – are or sorry, these sautéed onions that are sitting there that throughout the day people are coming in and getting patty melt. And, and they're just like, oh, we'll throw these onions on, throw them on, throw them on. And they probably – like this is the fascinating part about bot outbreaks to me. I mean, this probably wasn't the first day they did this, right? Like they were probably, right. Like they, this is just this was a reg- this was a regular practice. They've been doing this for years, maybe. And the, and some factor happened here that made it an outbreak, right? Like it's right. it's just fascinating um, to me. The more I, I dug into this, I was like, wow, this is um, you know this this is different from some of the other things like um, that, that you would see associated with, with these outbreaks that are unique events. Like the one that I talked about in Detroit, this is like every day they're doing the same thing. Um, so, well, I mean, and, and I think that's probably what, what sparked all this was our discussion of cheese sauce, which right. again, yeah. you know, all around the country, people just having this cheese sauce. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens at this one gas station, right? It's fascinating stuff. So anyway, Steve, Absolutely. Steve, th- Steven, thanks so much for sending this. Cause like, you know, like I said, I hadn't seen this and it's, it was really cool to just do a little bit of reading on these. Yeah, and this, so this is this. I I do like to uh, to use this one in in my storytelling uh, about botulism, and I'm really surprised that it hasn't come up before on the podcast. Yeah. But absolutely, thanks, uh, thanks to Stephen for bringing it up. So, um, and then his second point, uh, more more relevant to his uh, shared experience with me, um, he's talking about the uh, hand washing paper we discussed in episode 127. He says the log reductions you saw in the hand washing paper are similar but slightly lower than what we found in our norovirus hand washing paper back when I was at iFish. Uh, and that's the paper um, that he cites uh, there, uh, which we'll, we will link to. He says, we went through the IRB process for approval to inoculate murine norovirus onto the hands of volunteers prior to hand washing. But we also had them dry with paper towels after washing. And we know that contributes to reduction as well, a point uh, that I probably made on the podcast as well. And actually, I was just making uh, in an email uh, today to, to you and Doug talking about drying uh, fresh produce. Um, but, but again, the, as he writes, the biggest takeaway for him was after eluding viruses from volunteer hands, we still needed them to wash their hands again, rinse with ethanol, rinse in chlorinated water, and wash a final time to ensure no more viruses were detected on their hands. The volunteers hated that part. And all of this is for murine norovirus, which is not a risk to anyone unless you happen to be a mouse. I just, I, you know, I... I appreciate biosafety protocols, but that that just seems excessive to me. Um, and, and I'd have to ask the question, so what's the risk of, of damaging someone's hands with all of that uh, treatment that they might get an infection from that? But anyway, that's just my opinion. But what if they took it home to their pet mouse, Don? 
Uh, I would say uh, the recommendations should include uh, don't handle your pet mice for 24 hours. There you go. Yeah. You know, and if they get di- if they have diarrhea, here's how you treat your mouse for norovirus. I mean, I, yeah, or or maybe maybe Ben uh, have a, a screener question screen uh, to ex- screen out people. Do you have mice at home? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're out. Yeah, and then to well, which- and honestly. That's a good reason anyway, because if, honestly, if they have mice at home, they might be coming in with murine mm. virus. So right? true. I, we, um, I think, in our new home have mice, although they're not our they're domestic not pets. pets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're, I, I, I need to know more about this. This dealing, is important. We're dealing with it. We, we have a, uh, a, a pest control company to come, to come help us usher these mice out that have, that have been leaving uh, just some, some droppings every, every once in a while. Huh. So I, I'll, I will share my one <clears throat> mouse story, which is when I lived in Georgia when I was a graduate student. We lived in a, a half of a house. It wasn't really a duplex, but it was half of a house. And at some point, <clears throat> our neighbors moved out. And then at, at that point, we suddenly got a lot of mice because I think the mice were uh, having pretty easy living on the other side of the house, um, uh, not so much on our side of the house. And then the people in the food left, and then all of a sudden they needed to go where they were going to look for be a little more adventurous and look for food. And then suddenly we had a mice problem. So, oh my yeah. And then what did you do? What did you do with these mice? When- <clears throat> I don't remember. Uh, I think eventually – I think eventually uh, the other side of the house got cleaned out a little bit better, and I don't know. It was a rental place. The landlord – actually, the landlord was a faculty member in the food science department, oh. um, uh, George Schuler, um, who since passed away. So, um, yeah, I don't remember exactly how we resolved it, but somehow they, they got resolved. So Nice. We um, – for whatever reason, I've, we've had mice in multiple places that I've lived since being a student and, and not being a student. And at one point, Danny and I lived in this apartment in a basement that was terrible, um, that I'm sure was not, like, up to fire codes. You had to um, walk through – like, our, our bedroom had no window. Um, so, mm. if, yeah, we, we would have perished. Um, but um, we, we had mice, and instead of trap – or instead of, like, bait, we bought traps. And I would hear a snap, like, once every – two or three hours and then oh my god yeah and then i'd have to like the worst it was the worst i don't even know why we made that decision and then i would have to go because like empty out this mouse like that had been yeah it's it's cruel we i don't know why we did it so so anyway we're 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 seeking professional help now for our our mice issue i i think that's the wisest uh, move there it is because i think the the dog would be alerted by the snapping um, yes. If we, went, if we went that, well, that route. but, 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 uh, uh, on the other hand, um, if you do have, uh, poison being put out for the mice, you need to watch the dog there right. too. So oh, it's, a, so you gotta, gotta pay attention. So, yeah. And our dog. So, um, before we move on to, uh, further uh, dog safety, safety talk, things, yeah, dog safety talk, uh, learned, learned, uh, one thing about my dog. I didn't know, um, his new absolute favorite chew toy is a, Raw cob of corn. Oh, have you ever huh. uh, given your dogs a raw cob of corn? I don't think so. Uh, it's messy. That's what okay. I learned. Uh, but he went crazy and coveted it. Uh, he uh, jumped into a chair and protected this this like I guess he liked the taste of the raw sweet corn. Um, and uh, yeah, he chewed on that for uh, most of the last night. It's his Fourth of July present. 
Ah, well, well, Bianca's new favorite uh, chew toy um, is Kristen's sandals. So uh, needless to say, that's not good. Uh, but uh, they were kind of wearing out anyway. But anyway, now uh, Kristen definitely. And this is, the, I think, the second second sandal uh, that Bianca has chewed. So uh, I think we're just going to give her the sandal. And uh, Kristen's going to have to do a better job of keeping her sandals away from the dog. It's probably, yeah, it's probably good now that uh, it's just someone, it's just her toy. <laughs> I don't know, though. I went to give it to her, and she looked at me like, oh, what are you coming after me with that for? So I think she knows that she did a bad thing. So. Oh, gosh. Um, well, moving on in, in listener feedback, uh, we also um, got a message um, from someone who said that we can read the message but not name. Um, and so I'll, I'll read this. Uh, hi, uh, or hello. Uh, love the podcast. I recently started working as a registered environmental health specialist. And I'm constantly listening to your podcast while I drive around and conduct inspections uh, and foodborne illness investigations. The area I cover uh, recently had an influx of immigrants in the past year, and with that, increase in diversity in food. Have you guys discussed the risks associated with hero or shawarma? And I'm talking specifically about the vertical uh, broiler used to cook the cone of, of raw meat. A common issue I've been running into is that the vertical broiler is turned off during slow times in a restaurant, and when it is turned on, it's barely 120 degrees Fahrenheit. The cone is also composed of different meat products, so it'd be considered to be uh, would it be considered to be comminuted, uh, comminuted meat? Um, if you have talked about it in the past, would you be able to provide the podcast uh, number so I can take a listen? And thank you. Um, and so. Uh, we, you know, I think we've not really done a big in-depth dive into this. It is one of the issues that I find absolutely fascinating. And, um, it go, it goes back to, um, uh, an outbreak that happened, um, uh, when I was in graduate school or a couple of outbreaks that happened when I was in graduate school in, uh, Alberta. Um, and the good folks at, uh, Alberta health who, who I have befriended, uh, at speaking at their, um, uh, provincial conference, the, um, sci-fi, which stands for Canadian Institute of Public Health Inspectors, um, shout out to, to some of the very best, um, uh, inspectors. Um, and, and that group has done a lot with, Donairs, heroes, kebabs, shawarma—all very similar uh, cooking uh, processes—and and so they identified uh, these outbreaks of one five seven, and and in fact that led to a national committee in Canada looking at standards for heating and reheating and handling those those products. And, and as this listener um, so astutely mentions, part of the um, the issue is you have a, um, uh, comminuted, uh, product that is ground and pressed that's put onto a, a cone often frozen and then transported frozen to, um, uh, a, a kebab or donair shop or a hero spot. And then, uh, put on this like revolving broiler, that the cone spins and as the cone two a, a lot of things happen is you know one is um when it is slow often the temperature is turned down to not overcook the outside of that cone um two the temperature of the cone often they're put on from frozen they don't thaw them and so you have maybe the surface gets warm by the broiler but if it is busy 
and it's not cooking all the way through, you don't get um, full like heat penetration uh, in, into the depths of this like meat that is at you know weird temperatures, uh, somewhere in in between frozen and and serve serve temperature. Um, and the I mean the third factor that that you've know, looked at in in these outbreaks is as the cone gets smaller, it becomes further away from the heat source, and so the cooking of it from that heat source doesn't is not nearly as effective. So in, in many places that you know it may rotate around this this um, uh, broiler, and then someone will shave it off and then put it onto a flat top grill or griddle to sear it, and that sear step. Um, probably reduces risk more than anything that's that's happening in the uh, in the rotating cone. Um, but in in many of these outbreaks, that sear step was either uh, skipped or was very very quick, uh, uh, just enough to to warm it up. Like throw it on, throw it off, and and put it on a uh, on a pita. And so yeah, I'm like I'm all over this uh, you know secret life of kebabs and donairs. Yeah, so it will link to your uh, bar plug post, Secret Life of Kebabs and Daenerys. Um Also, uh, in, in doing a little bit of research, I came across a couple of other things that we will link to. First of all, there is an excellent, excellent uh, piece of just a one-pager from uh, Peoria County um, uh, in uh, Illinois, um, uh, which is uh, basically food safety tips for uh, gyros or gyros. Um, uh, you need to cook the meat to at least 155. You need to continually cook the meat. Uh, you're not allowed uh, in this jurisdiction. You're not allowed intermittent cooking, so the broiler elements must be turned on when the meat is present. Uh, uh, thirdly, cook and slice the entire meat roll within four hours. The meat roll should never be cooled and reheated. Um, and then finally, hold the cut slices of cooked meat in a steam table or other hot holding uh, so that the meat remains at 135 or above, and then rapidly cool leftover slices to 70 within two hours or and 41 within four more hours, and then uh, reheat to 165 before serving. Um, so we'll link to that as well as something from, I don't know if he's a friend of the podcast, but uh, he is certainly somebody that we know on uh, on Twitter, which is uh, Health Inspector Jim Chan. He has an article in his Health Inspector's Notebook from uh, 2015 um, uh, on food safety risks. And so we will, we will definitely link to that as well. And then finally, the third point, nothing to link to here, but uh, one of our favorite uh, places um, is a uh, at, the, at the Freehold Raceway Mall here is uh, some a place that we refer to as the Euro place. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I will often get a Euro salad. Um, <clears throat> and I would say at this particular place, it looks like they have the broiler turned up pretty high because it does brown the meat. Um, and then, but but the the the, the folks there are are really fastidious. They run a very clean uh, shop, and the, and the cooks there really do a good job. Um, they've been doing it for for years. I mean literally years they've been the same same crew has been working there and they they periodically do slice off the meat when it gets brown and then they throw it into a warming tray where again i'm, I'm hoping the temperature is is sufficient so uh and of course um no guarantees uh, but i have uh, never gotten sick uh, from from there so probably it's okay and like i said they really do seem to run a very clean uh and and fresh uh, operation um uh Kristen likes the chicken uh so that they'll just take a very thin piece of chicken and they'll uh, they'll throw it on the grill and, and cook that up, but uh, but I always get the uh, the gyro meat. So um, really, very tasty, very good, and uh, if you properly managed, um, not uh, not uh, terribly high risk. Um, yeah, and uh, just to to um, 
close this off, uh, something came across my uh, my email alerts on Monday um, to give you for um, uh, <laughs> listeners who are looking for a visual uh, of what we mean. Oh by my god. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I just texted Don the picture. We'll link to this in show notes. But the article is from uh, Metro in the UK and is piles of Donair kebab meat transported in a quote sweaty car boot, um, which has a fantastic uh, picture of what looks like rolls of carpet. Carpet, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh my but, god! But those are—I mean—that's what they look like. And so, um, someone reported this. Um, uh, a guy named Daniel Armstrong, who's an insurance salesman, he was walking through with his three-year-old uh, through Crawley in London, where he saw the meat, um, and it was only wrapped in cling film and piled in the back of a four-by-four. Four. Um, the uh, individual who owns the business said that he, uh, his name's um, Musa uh, Irilamaz. Um, he said that he was transporting the meat from. Uh, it was unconventional, yes, but he was taking it from one of his stores to another store which is about 100 yards away um and oh well that's uh, I, we should do some research on that called uh, the 100 uh, yard rule the 100 yard dash the 100 yard kebab dash uh and so he he says that it went from a minus 18 degree freezer to another another minus 18 degree freezer in no more than two or three minutes out of the freezer which it looks like it would probably take you two or three minutes to stack uh these carpet rolls uh and and just uh um, as a uh, final word here, um, a, a council spokesperson said that uh, environmental health is liaising with the business concerned. So, yeah, and 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 I mean, thank God it said uh, cling film because it, from the photo, it's yeah. shot from a ways away. It doesn't look like there's any film on this. It looks like these hunks of meat are just stacked in the in the back of this hatchback. Um, but I would say it doesn't matter if it's a short distance. That's not, I would say that is not an appropriate way to transport meat. Yeah. Certainly cling film is a good idea, but I would put it in some cardboard boxes, uh, or otherwise. Yeah, this just is, this is not a, I mean, again, pr probably low risk, but I just not a, absolutely not a best practice at all. Uh, cling film, you know, was it fully completely wrapped? Were there any places where it touched that it wasn't cling? filmed was it if it was frozen meat um could the the frozen meat like cut through the cling film since it was you know one hard surface rubbing against another i yeah i just uh ugh. well it yeah. looks vile and if i mean it, two or three minutes but if it's you know it's i know it's uh england so it's a you know a heat wave there it's it's probably 20 22 celsius um but at or or 26 it says it's sweaty um, yeah. You know, well, and I'm 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 really I'm less worried about the time than I am just worried about sanitation and cross contamination, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm what where where I'm kind of going with is, hmm. is is there any chance that you've got some thawing and then dripping through that you know like that that cling film, right? Like, do you have right. any cross contamination potential? Where yeah, um, may you know you, you one one small bit um, can. Uh, can lead to another and even if it's sweating like um having the cling film i assume that they didn't well i mean who knows maybe they froze it after or maybe they cling filmed it after it was frozen maybe they froze it after it was cling filled i well i i think that they were obviously they they were had a problem with the freezer and it was broken uh so yeah. it said they said it went from a minus 18 freezer to another minus 18 freezer except the first one was broken so it's that not, meant it wasn't at minus 18 yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but but I, I love I love the uh, penultimate paragraph, which says the sighting was reported by several members of the Crawley community who made environmental health aware of the situation. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about Crawley right now. I, they're, they're looking out for food safety there. Well, and it's Crawley like uh, like the House of Crawley from uh, Downton Abbey. Sure. Like creepy Crawley. Yeah, sure. Crawley. Whatever. It's like the, like Ma- Matthew Crawley. Uh, pip, pip, cheerio. Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Oh, yeah. You say that. I, like, <laughs> you've got Acorn and BBC America oh. <laughs> running in your background right now. And <laughs> I know you. I know how you work. We we, we watched uh, we watched the latest episode of Grantchester last night. It was really good. We have discovered a new uh, a new uh, thing, which is uh, uh, prime suspect Tennyson, which is a, uh, a 1970s version of Jane Tennyson, who in the, the current day was played by. Uh, what's her name? Um, the famous British actress. That's not that other famous British actress. Um, uh, Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett. No, old, older, older. Uh, uh, Judy Dench. Not not, not, not the one that's not Judy Dench. Um, um, uh, yeah, I know. I know who. Uh, Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. That's there the one. Go. That's the one who's. Yeah. So, so the one who's Mirren not Judy not- Dench. Yes, and and Helen Mirren is not in this one, but it is a, a it's a young it's a young blonde actress who's amazing playing a young Jane Tennyson who's just joined as a uh, I don't know what's the uh, not detective inspector not detective chief inspector it's like just uh, I don't know whatever the the a, British a uh, gumboot uh, yeah sure uh, the 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 lady equivalent of a Bobby um, anyway so. Good, good stuff. Uh, highly recommended. So yeah, I love the I love the British uh, stuff as much as I love to make fun as well. Of course. <laughs> uh, hey, did you watch The Crown? Have we talked about that? We have not talked about this. Mo- Actually, we visited my my brother and sister in law uh, uh, in uh, Ithaca over the holiday, and they started watching it. And um, I I went to bed just because it was it was late. But um, yeah, and so that is definitely something that we could watch in my house. Um, but uh, as I've explained many times before, I don't really control the television. So, um, but I, yes, it is on the list. It is. It's fantastic. We, we really liked it. Um, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so I think we have uh, um, another, another piece have, of feedback here. Yeah, we have one, uh, one last piece of feedback or, or, or something to be discussed, um, which is a, a new story idea, Ben. Um, <sighs> Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's great that people are pitching us on some new story ideas. Um, so I'll I'll read uh, from the pitch because and I'm sure this person I'm sure they listen um, because you know it's it's evident from what they've written. Right. Um, uh, so uh, the person writes to Doug, yeah. who I, I I would note is not you and not me and also not on the podcast. Okay, but I can understand the confusion. Uh, Doug, thanks for posting the story about food safety talk. It's a great podcast. And being in the biz, uh, B-I-Z biz, biz. I'm always looking for something new to listen to on my commute. Although someone should let them know that the link on their site is just static. Uh, Being a PR type, I have a pitch. Uh, uh, The person I work for is launching a very punny campaign for safe food weddings. Did you hear what happened to Sam and Ella after the wedding? They got food poisoning. Oh, it's a riot, Ben. Um, Barflog always has great content. I'd love to submit a blog for posting about wedding food safety. You know it's important. Oh, this person loves exclamation marks. I, I, I <laughs> Doug, Doug must really like this person. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but since you're... St- 
But since your still is more interview focused, I'd also love to arrange for you to chat with one of our food safety experts. So I don't know. What do you think, Doug? <laughs> I think I think we should get our still out. Oh, wait, wait. The campaign comes with great infographics, exclamation yeah. mark. I'll stop here. I'll st- oh, uh, tons more. Tons, tons more, more to share. Let me know. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's a great podcast, but it's just static. <laughs> it's, I don't know. So so after a little investigation. So anyway, we um, – uh, hey, we like listener feedback. We uh, – how many how many episodes have we had a guest on? Not many. Maybe Not many. Five, not zero. Six. Not zero. zero but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not something we typically do. Um, which is not, not to say we're not open for it, but, um, you know, if, uh, let's, let's see if, uh, <sighs> chatting with one of our experts probably isn't exactly what we would do. You know, the way that we approach most of the, most of our guests that we have had are, um, it's people that we know, or it's something that we found really interesting and someone called us on it and then we just invited them on to have a conversation and I referenced David Gumpert. Um, and anyway, the, yeah, it's just not really, not really an, not an interview still, uh, show. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. so anyway, yeah, please, we, we love listeners. Um, and, but we really like the actual listeners. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, I I don't think we'll be having them on, um, but no. you know, anyway. And, and there and you know what there are I I look there are some kind of good infographics, and I like about not, not as good as the ones that we talked about that you made. No, it's true, it's true, not as good as, as ours, but no, there there's some good stuff here. Um, so anyway, we'll uh, yeah, the, the, I think that's the uh, the end of uh, listener listener feedback. Um. Uh, also, I do want to follow up on the one comment on here, which I think we solved. You and I solved uh, over email, which is if you click on the link on our website, it takes you to a website um, that is starts with static1.squarespace.com, and then right. the audio file loads in place. So literally, clicking on our website does take you to static, just not right. audio static. But, but I think you hit it when you said that maybe um, they think that the opening theme music is just static, yes. in which case we definitely cannot have them on uh, because they don't understand music. They don't understand old black and Neil Young and good, nice, loud guitars that are crunchy. Crunchy. Crunchy, crunchy guitars, Don. That's what I love. Uh, you and me both, Ben. need to listen to more Neil Young. Uh um, so anyway, there's some, uh, that's the, the end of uh, listener feedback. So this is, this is our, our ab, this is our preview, uh, episode for our IAFP. And I know you've mentioned, please come up to us, uh, if you, if you see us and don't, um, and we'll, we'll, we're happy to buy, uh, uh, free beer. And you know what? I'm going to extend this, Don, I'm feeling generous. I'm happy to buy a non-free beer. If you happen to see me somewhere else. <sighs> I was I was just gonna say I, I didn't want to I didn't want to embarrass you, but I will also buy someone a non-free beverage of their choice. Doesn't have to be beer. Yeah. Uh, could be could be a coffee. Uh, could be uh, you know could be a, a a bullet bourbon, which is Ben's oh, new favorite bourbon. It is. Um, but it could you know it could be uh, whatever whatever the your beverage of choice is. Uh, could be a Lacroix. Look, could be a Lacroix or a Lacroix La or whatever it's called. Uh, Lacroix. 
Uh, as we know, it's uh, it says explicitly on their website. Uh, it's a like rhymes with enjoy Lacroix. Je ne sais pas. Je ne sais pas. Uh, but yeah, but I, I I'm feeling extremely generous. Um, and I I mean this. The, well, Ben, I mean as you know, as we know, as you know, we make so much money from this podcast. We do, we do, we make so much. Uh, what we make, Don, is gratitude in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and although that won't pay for beverages alcoholic or or not, um I I really enjoy uh interacting with our with our listeners, especially people that we don't know. I mean, I, I like the people that we know I, I can talk to anytime, but if you I mean, really, if you if you happen to see us at this conference and, and you uh um and please introduce yourself. It is it is the some of the most gratifying um uh things that that i've been part of are these really like nice conversations and and if there's stuff that you want to talk about that we don't talk about on the con- the podcast and you want to get don and i together uh this is the time to do it so yeah i'm i i'm, I'm very i'm excited for iafp don i hmm. i am uh it, it is uh, i i'm going and I, I think i mentioned this in the last episode i'm going to this iafp with without a whole lot of um uh, responsibilities in the form of talks uh, or, you know, things I'm going to enjoy the science. Um, I am going to, um, I, I actually looked at the, uh, the program, uh, this morning, uh, and started to think about, I'd like to go see this. I want to go see this stuff that I, that I've never seen before. And, uh, I want to go see this person cause I'm uh, familiar with the work they do from the journals, but I've never seen the talk and, and stuff like that. So I'm, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm getting a little giddy. It's like uh, you know, summer camp for the food safety nerds, and, uh, and I'm taking a different approach this year. Well, that's that's good. I wish I had taken that different approach. I have to write a talk um, that I, in a moment of weakness, agreed to give on Appendix A uh, cooking violations. But I've been I've been thinking about the talk, and it's on my list of things to do. So I should write it. Uh, I should write it soon. Oh, uh, uh, actually, there's one more piece of listener feedback, um, which came. I didn't. I get. I don't know. It's not. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. He wants to be on the podcast. Um, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, um, but this is a message uh, from our fa- our, our friend uh, Gordon, um, who writes, "Hi, ladies. <laughs> no longer actually, he writes he ladies, but I think he means hi, ladies. Um, no long time no see. I would like you to do something. I would like you do do." <laughs> To yes. do something, to do something, I think is what he means, on the BS idea, but he he actually spelled it out, the BS idea that food safety is a non-competitive issue. This is one of the reasons retailers get away with buying from poor suppliers. It's time to stand up and be counted, um, uh, Gordon. So uh, I, do you do you have an opinion on this? Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> it is a BS idea that food safety is a non-competitive issue. Um, and I even, even... Oh, Don, this is—it's like we we the spun the rant wheel and it landed on food safety is not competitive. Um, mm, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Here we go. Even even with the companies that argue that it is a non-competitive issue, they don't subscribe to it because they don't share everything. They you know, and 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 I think this is the this is the fine line. Um, the the idea of non-competitive. Don't market food safety. We're going to do everything to help uh, everyone else in the industry, um, you know, move forward. Um, all of those things get jumbled up together, and they're not—they're not the same thing. Right. Right. Um, 
It absolutely is, is a competitive issue and it should be. And it's the only way that I think we move, we continue to move things forward. And um, I'll, I'll call out um, someone who I think, uh, who, who doesn't, I don't think, listen to the podcast and who I would say is friend of the pod, um, who, who and, I, and hopefully I don't um, get this wrong, but I think that um, our friend, Frank Giannis, at, uh, who does food safety at Walmart, would often, does often say that food safety is a non-competitive issue. But if we look at um, some of the stuff that, that Walmart has done, especially this, uh, um, the salmonella testing in poultry for their suppliers, they, they, I mean, in a good way, they make it a competitive issue, right? Like they, they, they tell us about all the good things that they're doing in food safety and how they are driving their suppliers to do better things. And just by telling it makes it competitive because it makes me, as someone who's really invested in choosing good uh, uh places to to procure my food from uh i'm going to i'm more likely to choose from a place that is putting things putting a system into place to uh hopefully result in less pathogens that i'm exposed to and and, and since it's out there it it makes the rest of their competitors do things differently um and, and so i you know I, it is I, I agree with with gordon 100% um, and I, I think the, the other thing that, that he's mentioning here is that it, when it is non-competitive, um, it makes retailers off the, it takes some retailers off the hook when it comes to um, uh, suppliers and, and buying from maybe inferior suppliers. And by saying, well, it's not, it's not competitive, it's all, all the suppliers coming in are the same thing. And even that, I don't, I mean, it's, I don't believe. So... Yeah. yeah, you know what? What Gordon should do is he should uh, get off his butt and organize a session at IAFP in 2018. That's what he should do. That's a great idea. I will. Um, I would co. I would co-author that, or whatever. Co-lead the the co uh, co co-sponsor. Co-sponsor. Yeah. Co. Yeah. Communicate. Co. Organize. Yes. Because uh, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know, and. I I'll, I mean I want to I do want to come back to the um, to the idea of of marketing uh, as well um, and you and I have talked quite a bit about this um, in the past and it, where it makes individuals sometimes uncomfortable and some of the things that I've written about in Barf Blog um, have have resulted in a, you know a phone call from someone at a trade group who says we don't believe that it should be uh, you know that we should market food safety all food that's on the market should be considered to be safe. And Don, except when it's not, it's not, it's not. And, and let's reward the good companies and, and let's conversely, those who can't answer the questions or that those who like, and I want to go back to um, the outbreak that happened at Bluebell and some of the other places that we've looked at in the past in, in our discussions where, Having someone who's a member of IAFP who works for that company doesn't tell me whether they're likely to make a um, make people sick or not, but it does tell me that they've got someone who is in an organize in an organ professional organization where they have access to the best available science and to uh, a professional organization where um, they they can network with individuals to do things in, in the safest way. And and that that's one one piece that I would use as a you know as a tool to show um, 
strength in in a food safety program. And again, it's not to say just having that check in that box means anything explicitly, but not having someone in the, and not being able to check that box immediately makes me think that that they don't know where the right places are to get this information or what the right community is to um, to to be part of. Right. Witness the the stupid statements by Chipotle uh, during their mess. Um, maybe witness what's going on with um, this uh, cheese outbreak, although that's 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 still a little bit weird because we, we don't know exactly what caused it. But, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, certainly there's there's good good players and bad players out there. And, and we should reward the good players with our business and the bad players um, with our scorn. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I have homework for you. Okay. But it's not in between the time that we record next because you and I are recording a super special IAFP version of this next week. Yes. Um, Of this. And by this, I mean food safety talk. Um, But there are two things um, uh, that that I I would like to watch that I have not watched yet. And I want your take. I I want you and I to watch them and uh, do it – and then and then talk about it afterwards. Um, okay. One is food evolution. Okay. Um, and do, are you familiar with this with this movie? Uh, I think I've heard of it. So it, it's an IFT produced movie that was narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh yeah. Okay. I did. I, I did have heard of it. I did not realize it was uh, IFT produced. Yeah. And I. I mean. So let me let me go. Maybe it's not IFT produced. IFT is somewhat. Yeah. So, yeah. IFT is involved. Um, and so if you go to the foodevolutionmovie.com website and read uh, on the origin of food evolution, um, the, there are filmmakers, uh, uh, partnering up. Okay. Let me read directly. We have partnered up after working on previous documentary together and we're pitching various projects when the Institute of Food Technologists contacted us looking for fil- filmmakers to help them bring to life a documentary that would inform a fact-based public dialogue on our food system. And so that's the the setup. And so it's um, Larkin Donnelly and director Scott Hamilton Kennedy uh, are the filmmakers involved um, uh, with this. And so I just I, I haven't I, I don't want to talk about it um, too much because I haven't I haven't watched it oh um, at, at all. And I really I, I I've seen some uh, scuttlebutt on. Um, on the Twitter about it, and and I'm I, I'm going I'm going into this with a lens, and that lens is uh, something that we talked about a long time ago on Food Safety Talk, which were these um, what it's like to be in the food industry um, developed videos that IFT put together that I thought were terrible because they sugarcoated everything. Yep, and I I I want I want to go into this with with a whole idea that it's not that. But I have that in the back of my mind that I'm mm-hmm. watching those again. Yep. So that's that's item number one. The other thing I want you to watch is so so yeah. let but but so for those that want to play along at home, yeah. Uh, let me point out that it is not easy to watch this yes. because it is in a limited number of locations. Um, uh, so you can't, uh, like there, I, I'm just looking to see if there's any, anywhere in New Jersey I can go to see this. And I think the answer is no. I got a, I have an idea on this, Don. Okay. I feel like this is where, where you and I are, are trans, uh, transcendental. No, that's not the right word. Um, we, uh, I, I'm going to email IFT 
and see if you and I can get a, a copy of this that we can screen this on our own so we can talk about it on our podcast because we're part of the media. Cool. Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, a screener copy. Uh, a screener I think copy. they have those for the uh, for the uh, uh, the uh, Academy Awards. Exactly. We're gonna see. That's that's what I'm gonna try and pitch. All right. Cool. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they're gonna say no to us, but um, but I I feel like we I, I want to I I don't know I want to talk about it um, and get your get your thoughts. Second, yeah. I, I, so I'm I am totally I am totally willing to watch a digital copy. Uh, I am not willing to travel more than about 10 minutes to go and see it somewhere. So I'm, yes, I'm with you. We're, we, okay. we have the same constraints. Cool. Um, there is something, uh, and I'm going to get the exact title. There's something appeared on uh, CNBC last night called American greed. Sorry, Sunday night. Um, and it is an episode. It's a, a TV show that I don't know anything about, um, but it's a, a, a series and the uh, Sunday night uh, episode was about the about PCA, uh, Peanut Corporation Ooh. of America. Uh, so Monday's episode, sorry, not Sunday. Monday's episode of CNBC, American Greed, tackles the case of the Peanut Corporation of America, which shipped out salmonella laced peanut products that sickened hundreds and left nine people dead nearly ten years ago. Um, some of the faces are in this uh, uh, documentary that we know or uh, or may may know. Um, the uh, Parnells are, are telling part of their story. Uh, as well as uh, our uh, friend of the pod, uh, Bill Marler. Mm. So uh, my, I, I have not watched this, um, uh, and I, it just also, I, I think it got lost in the shuffle of the uh, July 4th holiday. Uh, I just uh, read about it uh, yesterday, so I, I'd like to figure out how we, you and I can get a copy of this and see it, and then uh, view it, and let's talk about it in the next episode. But yeah, I, but this, not the yeah, next this, episode. The next episode, right? The next, the next episode. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I would. T- I'm totally, I'm totally willing to do that. Um, yeah, I'm even willing to go and buy a copy um, on some sort of media if it's uh, if it's for sale. So yeah, totally, I'm, I'm ready. Because you know, I mean, Ben, we make so much money on this podcast. We do. We make a lot of money. We got to spend it somewhere. So, so <laughs> yeah, there's no no better place to to spend it than on. Uh, uh, viewing uh, CNBC, uh, you know, uh, I, fr- this is different from fake news, fraud news. I don't know. It's NBC. They're failing, failing NBC. <laughs> and let's view it and see what it, see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's uh, this is good. We got a little food safety in popular culture, which is my ultimate r- goal is to to actually teach a course on food safety in popular culture, but not a course at a university, uh, just a course maybe on the internet. Sure. 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 Uh, yeah. So there's a little bit of homework. Um, we, uh, so we mentioned, um, in our previous, uh, episode, uh, that, uh, we will be recording an IAFP, uh, special and we have details. We do uh, on the on, deets on, as the kids say the, the deets. And, uh, so I want to, uh, share with everyone that um uh, if i can find it unless you have it right in front of you i, I do uh, go, uh we we are recording uh on wednesday july 12th from we don't have an exact time uh, but we have the window of noon to 4 p.m unless you're going to tell me the exact time you want to do this um and we are going to be doing this in room four absolutely i would like to um set up uh like around twelve forty-five, and with a like a one o'clock start time. That's that sounds good to me. So so let's say twelve forty five to around two. Yeah, is the is the window. And yeah, so so I, uh, just to 
um, extend our invite. Uh, if you want to just come be part of a live studio audience of the podcast, uh, join us. Um, we don't know how big this room is or how small the room is, so there may be uh, seating constraints. Um, but it, whoever we can pack in there, we will. And if it's a massive room, then uh, please come and make it feel less empty. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a massive room. I, I don't think but so. But I hear it has a nice view. It does have a nice view, according to uh, David Tharp and Lisa Hovey, who so generously gave us uh, space again at IAFP. Um, and if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast and and like to do so anonymously um shoot us an email or text or or just show up and uh we'll have a couple of um, microphones i'm planning you're bringing a microphone i'm planning on bringing two microphones Mm. um we're gonna try and set this up uh if you know the the thing that i forget to do every year and then we'll try and figure out at about uh noon on uh on that day on the uh, july 12th uh uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. What day is it? Tuesday. <laughs> we're recording on Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm going to figure it out on Tuesday, and we're going to record on Wednesday around one o'clock. Yeah. So I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the floor plan. Oh, it is a very nice view. It looks like it opens out into a view of the bay oh. of Tampa Bay, um, and it is. Uh, it's about the si- about ten percent the size of a ballroom. It's not a. It's not a closet. Um, but it's a, uh, uh, it's a smaller room. Well, so, so hard, hard to tell the exact size, but, but, you know, get there early, um, plan on arriving before one o'clock. Um, cause we may have to put a little, uh, on air sign on the door and not let you in. Cause you know, we care so much about the audio quality. Um, but that's what we're going to shoot for. Absolutely. And, um, be, uh, bring your questions uh, and, and, uh, we're going to have a, a rant wheel. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to that as well. One of the one of my yes. favorite times of IAFP, our face to face recording where we don't look at each other. Um, what uh, what else we got? We have a ton of stuff here in the in the list. What else is uh, is is going on here uh, that you want to want to talk? Where do you want to go next? Um, that's a good question. Um. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's find out, uh, Ben. Is there poop in your iced coffee? Oh, Don, this is great. Thank you for bringing this. Uh, so, I can, I so can tell you, there's no poop in my iced coffee. Well, I can tell you, I don't think there's any poop in my iced coffee. Uh, I just finished some iced coffee, so I, um, uh, as far as I know, what it had in it was. Um, uh, Wegmans 1% low fat organic milk because they didn't have any regular milk. So I got the organic kind, um, some Splenda and a Starbucks via and some ice cubes from my fridge, uh, which I did pick up with my fingers. So, um, but I don't think there was any poop on my fingers. So I'm pretty sure there wasn't poop in my iced coffee. Don, I would argue, I'm going to get all semantic and, uh, nerdy on you. I'd argue that there was some poop in your ice in your iced coffee. Well, and Ben, I, I, <laughs> do you mean poop or do you mean fecal coliforms? No, no, no. I'm gonna we're, we're gonna get to fecal coliforms. Okay, but my guess is that the milk that you had was pasteurized and filtered, and there's still some poop in there that that got cooked through the poop cooking process of pasteurization. And and it's not gonna make you sick, but I bet you there's some poop. There's some poop floating around. 
There's some uh, some insect poop that might be around. Is it poop that's going to make you sick, Don? No. Well, you didn't say insect poop. I that's didn't, a trick question. I, I just said poop. You just said poop. <laughs> I bet you there's some poop. Uh, okay, so here's we the, like to say poop on this podcast. We do. We like we do, we do like to say poop. We like and we like to send each other poop emojis. <laughs> so so let's uh, let's clue the listeners in. So we'll, we will link to. There's a post on the uh, live science. Um, um, webpage, uh, which wants to send me alerts. No, thank you. Um, uh, the, the headline is, no, there isn't poop in your iced coffee. Um, uh, so uh, how do you take your iced coffee? For some people in the United Kingdom, an investigative report from the BBC has sparked concerns that the drink may come with an unwanted add-in, a dash of fecal bacteria. A small BBC investigation found that iced coffee from several coffee chains, including Starbucks, were contaminated with a bacteria from a group with an icky-sounding name, fecal coliform. In the investigation, undercover researchers posing as customers <laughs> – you mean they didn't come in in lab coats? Right, yeah. Uh, tested, ice in, uh, tested ice in iced coffees from 10 stores for each of three coffee chains, Starbucks, Cafe Nero, and Costa Coffee. Three out of 10 ice samples from both Starbucks and Cafe Nero contained the bacteria, and seven out of 10 ice samples from Costa Coffee were contaminated with fecal coliform. So first of all, fecal coliform is not one kind of microorganism. Second of all, fecal coliforms are not an indication of feces. Um, uh, and thirdly, there might not even be a good indication of safety or sanitation. So yeah. anyway, and the sample size was very small, and all three coffee chains told the BBC they are looking into the problem. So anyway, yes. Oh, my goodness. Look here. Look here. Look, Ben, simply put, these findings don't mean there are feces in your iced coffee, said Ben Chapman, a food safety <laughs> specialist and an associate professor at North Carolina State University. Fecal coliform, says Dr. Chapman, is a large group of bacteria that, yes, can be found in feces, but these bacteria are also found in many other things in the environment, such as fruits and vegetables, Chapman told Live Science. These bacteria are indicators, Chapman said, meaning they indicate that something could be present that could make a person sick, but an indicator's presence doesn't signify that someone will definitely get sick, he added. Nice job, Dr. Chapman. Thank you. And what was left out of that quote, which I um, grabbed a little later, but they actually linked in, in live science to, was what I think is maybe the, the best example, someone who is much more articulate than I am, who wrote about this, um, uh, Mike Doyle and, um, oh gosh, who's the other co-author? Oh, I lost it here. Um, Marilyn, somebody. Oh, Erickson. Erickson. Marilyn Erickson. Yeah. Yes. Um, who wrote in 2006 uh, in Micro Magazine um, about how terrible fecal coliform assay is as an indicator of um, safety in waters and foods and of fecal contamination in general. And I want to read from this article that we'll link to. In conclusion. Physicians and public health officials have repeatedly misinterpreted results of the fecal coliform assay when applied to food, beverage, or water samples. To prevent future occurrences, the fecal coliform assay should, at a minimum, be redefined to specifically qualify that it's not a reliable indicator of either E. coli or the presence of fecal contamination. An even better alternative would be to eliminate the fecal coliform assay as an indicator of fecal contamination of foods, beverages, and water. The E. coli assay is a more reliable indicator of fecal contamination, although not absolute, and could serve as a replacement for a fecal coliform assay. I, I love that, that article. Um, it's really well-referenced, and, and it's something I, I talked about uh, in a barf blog 
uh, post about this that I, I did a couple of interviews about this last week, one in Live Sciences and another one for um, uh, uh, Yahoo News, I think it was. Um, and, uh, um, and basically Money-ish, which is part of uh, Bloomberg, I think. Um, and, and, and basically there's a great story here that is not, hey, there's a bunch of fecal matter in your iced coffee. The great story is we are using the wrong test to ask that question. And well, it depends on your definition of the wrong test, Ben. If you want to generate a headline ah. about having poop in your coffee, I mean, no, it's not news, Ben, to test uh, 10 samples of ice from three different chains and find no E. coli. That's not news, Ben. Oh. That, that is not going to generate the hits, as they say, but that's uh, the what clicks. Happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, my prediction, sadly, is that we are going to continue to see this kind of study. And again, just more opportunity for you and me and the Mike Doyles of the world um, to, to basically talk about this. And yeah, we will definitely link to uh, the article from uh, Microbe. Unfortunately, it looks like you can link to a plain text version with yeah. no references, and then you can click on the PDF version, which is nicely formatted and also includes Mike and Marilyn's name, uh, but but which also uh, does not have the references. It says literature citations and relevant references uh, found in the online version, which is bizarre since the version that is yeah. online is 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 the one that I'm looking at. So, but anyway, um, yeah. So so, but definitely, if you have not seen it, get a copy of this article and and check it out. It's uh, sadly. Uh, in 2006, uh, the title of the article is uh, Closing the Door uh, on the Fecal Coliform Assay. Um, that was in 2006. Here it is more than 10 years later, and the door is not yet closed. So, um, I mean, good luck with that. I don't think it's going to happen. But, um, again, good opportunity for us to to reach out and to tell people, you know, how to interpret this. Yeah, absolutely. Two, two things before we leave this. Um, one is the uh, original BBC um, article um, it cites a, a guy named uh, Tony Lewis, who is an expert, and he said that the levels of fecal coliform were concerning. I would, I don't know Tony Lewis. Do you know Tony Lewis? I know some Tonys, and I know some Lewis's. people named Lewis. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't, I don't know Tony Lewis. I tried to find him, um, and I, I don't know where where he comes so from. Are you stalking him? A little bit, because I would think that if he was really an expert, he wouldn't say that. Right? He's, like, from Chartered, he's from the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health, Ben. I understand that. <laughs> I still couldn't find his contact information. Huh. Um, so, but it's not, I mean, if they found, if they found E. coli, I would be a little bit concerned. If they found other pathogens, that would be concerning. But finding fecal coliforms, and it's not concerning to me. And, in fact, I was quoted in this other article from Moneyish. Um, sort of not exactly my quote, um, and I will correct it here uh, as as I read it. Um, and this is in an article uh, entitled, We Are Bathed as a Society in Human Feces, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, my, my quote is, uh, if you look for feces, you're going to find it. And what I, what I said was, or what I, I thought I had said was, um, if you look for fecal coliform, you're going to find it. Uh, said Dr. Chapman. But in fact, it would be a bigger surprise to me if someone did a study looking for bacteria like this and they didn't find it. Um, because it, that's true, right? <laughs> like, if, if you had 
uh, a bunch of uh, samples and you decided to look for something that's not a very good assay and you and and you took you know twenty samples from anywhere, I would expect that you're going to find fecal coliforms somewhere. It just doesn't mean much. Yeah. So so two bits of follow up. Um, uh, Tony Lewis is the head of policy and education uh, at uh, the uh, 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 Chartered Institute of Environmental Health, and he can speak about a variety of environmental health topics on our behalf. So um, uh, there's a contact us link. So uh, but no other information. And Tony, uh, let's just say he's a very British looking fellow if you go on the website. So and then and then the other thing I want to point out is um, man's assumption. Have you ever heard of man? Man's assumption. I've not heard of man's assumption. So man's assumption, that's M-A-N-N, um, uh, attributed to you. I think you know this man, um, this 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 Merlin man. Ah. Um, so man's assumption, uh, which is and you, this has got to be true because it's in Urban Dictionary. Man's assumption is that everything in a hotel room has at one point been in someone's butt. <laughs> so uh, not not unlike uh, the quote of yours that they did not use. Oh, that's good. I yeah. will uh, reference uh, man's assumption. Man's assumption from here on out, and uh, use that in actual uh, anytime I'm interviewed about hotel rooms. Yes, oh, it's fantastic. and and I think we have Chapman's corollary, which is that basically uh, everything at some point has been uh, in someone's butt. Every, yeah, exactly. And if you're gonna if you're gonna look for it, you're gonna find it. <laughs> exactly. Oh. So yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, and I what's uh, before we, we move off of this, uh, or as we segue into something else, the, there was a lot of um, last or yesterday was Fourth uh, of July. Uh, over the weekend was Canada Day. A uh, lot of like summer grilling festivities. A lot of news coverage on like using a thermometer and cooking. We have this campaign that I mentioned in um, in the last uh, episode. One sixty is good dot com. A press release from the marketing company. Um, went out to a bunch of folks in Fayetteville and local media about this. Um, I talked to uh, a bunch of uh, good folks at um, other places, FSIS and other regulatory groups that do communication and public information. Everyone was talking about grilling last week. I wanted to talk about grilling, but all anybody wanted to talk to me about was fecal matter in iced coffee. No one called me about thermometers. No one called me about that other stuff. They just wanted to talk about poop in your coffee. Well, you know, Ben, you, sometimes you got to go where the poop leads you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nicely. Yes. Yes, you do. The poop trail led me, led me to the coffee. Yep. Oh. Um, so, I mean, a couple of little quick hits, and I know you've got a hard out here in a little bit. Um, there's a salmonella outbreak in Canada where, uh, it's linked to raw frozen, uh, products and, uh, public health agency is not going to tell people who the, uh, who, who's making it. <laughs> oh God. Can well, we rant about this for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, not only can we rant about it, I wrote, uh, wrote a whole paper about it that was published earlier this year. Oh, uh, how about that? Oh, yeah. Funny about like how to go public with information and how you should have a strategy and um, why are you protecting businesses? And I don't care if it's your policy. If you can pull something off of uh, the, the market and, that is making people sick or have people – and this goes back to the marketing, food safety, and non-competitive rant – 
if you can tell people that this company had a problem and they made people sick and that leads to someone making a decision about avoiding them, that's your duty as a public health uh, uh, official or agency, not protecting the the business that you also happen to regulate. And I just don't get it. So, so is, is this, is this the, um, so there's, I found an article on public health agency of Canada website saying, uh, outbreak of salmonella linked to frozen raw breaded chicken products. Yes, this is it. This is it, but they're, they don't name the company. Yes. So, so let's, so let's see what, what should you do to protect your health? Uh, don't eat raw or undercooked frozen breaded chicken products. Check. Yep. Uh, because of uneven uh, heating, microwave cooking is not recommended. Check. Wash your hands um, after handling raw, frozen, breaded chicken products. Okay, but I don't think that's really going to do much to mitigate the risk. Um, use a separate plate, cutting board, or utensils. Check. Digital thermometer. Check. Yeah. So uh, how about don't eat food from Company X? Right. Or handle – if you have Company X's food in your freezer, you better handle that differently than Company Y's. Right, or return it for a refund. Yeah, just get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. And it uh, it just goes it, – it, like it's just another example in a long line of these where um, when you have competing priorities within a regulatory agency and you want to be a public health agency but you also want to be a regulator, that stuff like this happens and they can't win, right? Like like I that that is – that is, if you don't have a playbook for it, if you don't have a way to, to handle it on when it's going to be a recall and when it's not going to be a recall and it's not enough, but we have enough information. Like, it's so patronizing to think that there is someone sitting there, a group of people in this agency that are sitting here with information that says, we know that um, there are illnesses from four provinces and it's been linked to uh, these types of products. And, and maybe it's... Like, it's hard to figure out if it's some of these products and not all of them. We've got information we're not sharing with you, and we don't really have a plan to share it with you until it's the right time to share it with you, but we don't tell you what that criteria is. It's just so frustrating. And there's 44 people sick. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, Ben. It's uh, it's kind of It's kind of crazy. Oh well, hey, if you if you go to the uh, a, a news website, uh, there's a link uh, which says that uh, there's some uh, uh, no name and compliments brand frozen oh. chicken products recalled. Uh, but you, then you click on that link and you see it's from 2015, so probably uh, not the same companies unless it is true by coincidence. So, and and I'm so, Don, I'm okay with them not right away releasing information, but please tell us how you're making the decisions. Right. Like that's that's the and um, it goes and this was uh, you know, quoted in the uh, in the paper from from Paul Mead, where if you go early. No, if you I always mess this up. Let me find it. Let me find the exact quote. And that was that's attributed to you. Yes, because uh, that's the I, I, I read it somewhere and, and wrote it down. Yeah. Um, and sorry, um, I'm moving away from my microphone uh, to type this. But um, this, the paper that I'm that I'm mentioning is uh, in. Uh, it was published in the Journal of Environmental Health in uh, May of this year. And the quote is: "Food safety recalls are always either too early or too late. If you're right, it's always too late. If you're wrong, it's always too early." Exactly. Just yeah, but just. Uh, tell people what you know when you know it 
And and speaking speaking of being wrong, uh, there's only seven people in this outbreak. Again, I, I this globalnews.ca website has a read more 44 linked to uh, sick and 44 linked to frozen bread and chickens product. That's also the 2015 outbreak. So, again, apologies for the misstatement. I would attribute some of that to uh, really crappy uh, linking um, policy, clickbaiting policy on this website, which is just anyway yeah. annoying. So seven people across four provinces, um, male, average age of 26. This is quite interesting. I think that that fits the demographic of this kind of product, right? Yep. Um, I think at one point when we talked about this, I think I might have shared that uh, my son, this was back uh, when he was still uh, living at home um, uh, 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 with his mom, um, actually probably got sick from a product like this that he cooked in the microwave. So it, it fits with that young male demographic, so... Well, and we um, we did some work about 10 years ago uh, on this, or at least I was part of a study uh, that was published in the British Food Journal uh, by Sarah de Donder, where um, this is our my, my first experience of um, consumer handling observation. Uh, she brought in um, 40 individuals to a model kitchen, gave them these products, and said, hey, cook them. And I, you know, I think... Uh, four out of the 40, 10% tried to use a thermometer, but only one of them did it correctly uh, right. with a couple people leaving the uh, protective sheath on the thermometer and then citing or you know responding, hey, uh, yeah, it's, I know I cooked it to the right temperature because I used a, a thermometer that could not have possibly taken the temperature. Mm. So um, anyway, yeah, uh, this, yeah, just when you have information, share it. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just don't understand this, but uh, I and, and I you know we should we should talk at some point maybe we should talk with people like not on the podcast but off the record to try to get the perspective of these folks like we know folks in public health agencies uh, in Canada or in this agency um, we should we should maybe talk to them and and find out like why why is this like what's the what's the culture and, and how can we change it right right and we actually know somebody a former uh, IFP president who was part mm-hmm. of this agency who's no longer might even be able to talk to us yeah, like and give us some perspective. Uh, Jeff Farber is uh, now uh, at the University of Guelph and and is free to talk as a as an academic. And you know, when people leave the agencies and they go uh, elsewhere, they they really like to talk. <laughs> I don't know. Jeff seems kind of uh, like I, I. He would never say anything unkind about anyone. But uh, I, yeah, we're I don't know. I don't for anything unkind. Unkind. We're just looking for the truth. We're just looking. We're just looking for no hashtag fake news. There you go. Yeah. What? So I, I feel like we're gonna have to get others around us when we have this conversation just to confirm whether it's fake news or not. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, Don, you've, you made me so happy on social media this week. I, I can't explain it to you. I'm, I'm uh, glad to hear that. Um, what else, uh, what else we got in here that, oh, we didn't talk about this. Did we, it's in this file, but we didn't, we didn't talk about Rhode Island farmers. Did we last, last episode that we recorded? We, we couldn't. Have. We did not. We did not. Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to, this is where we need to end this podcast because as I was sitting at home, uh, on, on the 23rd of June, when this, uh, when this article came out, I, I could tell you exactly what I was doing. So were you um, on the toilet? I was not on the toilet. I, uh, had 
just um, put my let me see where where was this I had just put my kids uh, uh, to bed and we were um, 23rd of June sorry sorry no I had just dropped my kids off this is why there was no kids around and I was sitting on the couch uh, with uh, my lovely wife and reading things on Twitter uh, as I like to do and then saw this article uh, that we'll link to um, that I've just lost in my whole uh, process here call uh, that says Rhode Island Farmers Grill Senator on food safety. And I read through this article and saw maybe the greatest quote of all time that you know, I would take out of context. Um, and, or it wasn't a quote, but it was a line. And, and so they're talking about in this, it's largely related to farmers and their compliance with FISMA and how they're going to have trouble with it. And there was um, an individual um, who uh, was talking about uh, a line, uh, you know, a, a packing line. And I guess in Maine, they refer to uh, the line or part of the line as the dumper. And uh, Carrie Stenovich of Phantom Farms in Cumberland uh, was uh, was talking at this meeting uh, about the the issues related to FISMA and said that when they came to the packing house, um, and this was someone who uh, did an inspection from the Department of Agriculture, Rhode Island Division of Agriculture, said they saw wooden bins for storing apples and recommended they be replaced with plastic. And Stenovich said she had looked into plastic bins, but nobody manufactures plastic bins that fit her dumper, which, which did not. Tough when you have an unusual size dumper. It's weird. Yeah, when you and especially not one that's suited for plastic bins. So I tweeted this plastic bins issue. But but as you mentioned uh, on Twitter, and obviously that's a funny line, and I love about dumpers and, and that it's just I just I need to say the word dumper more. Um, <laughs> That there are there are folks in this in this uh, article that they're just really like out of whack with what FISMA is all about. They talk about FISMA changing labeling rules that say maple syrup producers are going to have to put added sugar on their nutrition facts label, which has nothing to do with FISMA, right? Um, and that there's a lot of complaining about a law that I mean that that passed. Sure, the rulemaking process has been long, long but this law passed eight years ago. Right or it, it's well, and I've got to think that many of these farms um, are exempt due to the tester amendment, so they're not even they're not even subject to the regulation. Yeah, well, obviously they're subject to nutritional regulations, but that's not FISMA, right? I'm kind of reminded of people that that uh, are really upset about Obamacare, but are very thankful that the ACA exists uh, because uh, because it, it's their only health insurance. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so. So, so, I, so the, the president of the Rhode Island Farm Bureau said meat is at USDA, eggs is at USDA. Why is this product not at USDA, talking about syrup? So oh, I, I, thankfully, I think we have smarter people in New Jersey Farm Bureau. But anyway. Yeah. Well, also um, in, the, in the conversation, uh, there's uh, an individual. Where is it? Yeah. Here we someone says we have four uh, this uh, uh, individual White House who is I believe from the main division of uh, of agriculture. Um, 
right, let's just, if I get that correctly, because it's going to matter here for this story. Um, oh, no, no, it's no. Uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Senator Whitehouse. Okay, sorry. Yes, Senator. So he, he says um, that there are four things that, that you, four courses of action he could take. He could craft a letter to FDA indicating the regulations being uh, promulgated under FISMA don't seem to be abiding by the law's intent. Uh, okay, good luck with your letter. Because there's a whole process that's happened with comment periods and rules and comments. Like, that's all happened. And so we're way, at, we're way past that. Secondly, since the regulations are still being promulgated, many regulations can be challenged under Congressional Review Act. So you could go to Congress and you've got a 60-day legislative chance. Um, or he could request of the, of the bill under unanimous consent, which al allows Senate to expedite the review process. Like, uh, or he can seek to repeal FISMA. <laughs> good, good but, luck. but Ben, he considers this the most difficult to achieve, you think? Yeah, good luck with your letter writing. <laughs> I think. Uh, well, so what I don't understand is, is there are, there, are, are FISMA regulations still being promulgated? And is there still this 60 legislative no, day window? I think that all happened after. No, I think it's closed. I, I can't yeah. see any of this. Yeah, so. Anyway, the good the good senator from Maine, um, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, I think might not be Rhode, Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island. What I, <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying Maine. Ben, I know, I know you think all of these states up here in the Northeast are the same, <laughs> but they're not. They're different. I love Rhode down Island down there in Tennessee, where you are. Yeah, I love Rhode Island. Some of my Georgia. favorite, some of my best friends are from Rhode Island. I have there's <laughs> what. Have, I, one of my family members went to Rhode Island once. Um, <laughs> you went to Rhode Island to once. Rhode you had an IAFP meeting there. I've been there twice with you. We also had a, a multi-state oh, project yes. in, in Narragansett. Yes. I love yes, I love the did. great people of Rhode Island. I think that they might have missed the boat when it comes to uh, not not the boat, not the Mayflower, which I don't think even landed in Rhode Island. I think the boat uh, on uh, FISMA and uh, seeking a repeal. Good luck. Yeah, regulations are complicated. I do. I do want to give a shout out, though. Um, I so I, I, I we talked about this already, but I just want people to to know that um, like people are smart sometimes. Um, so I was at a meeting. I spoke uh, to the California Citrus people at at a lovely meeting, uh, and I. I was I have I think I said this on the podcast after I visited, but I want to just reiterate that I was so impressed that the level of understanding these guys had about FISMA, the articulation that they could speak with about it, um, like they got it, right? Like they, I asked them some hard questions and they really got it. They understood it. Um, they weren't happy about it, but they, but they really, they really understood it. And so, you know, just to, so people don't think that we're making fun of, well, we can make fun of stupid politicians all we want, but that the, the 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 all farmers are not like these folks that we're talking about in this story. There are some that really get it, that really understand the issues, and that are passionate about what they're doing, and are passionate about making food safe, but also being able to to earn a living. So, so yeah. I just wanted to you know just to reiterate that that that, that this is a caricature. This is probably an exception, but but certainly is not uh, not everybody. Yeah, and and I want to I kind of blame up the politicians here for leading people down the line of. Here, here's what it really means when it doesn't really mean that. Uh, right. And it, it's a confusing topic, uh, absolutely. And, and like you said, I've interacted with lots of uh, producers and trade industry 
uh, representatives who really know this back and fro- forwards. And um, it's um, it, it, it's when when sort of the confusing stuff goes out that you kind of look at it and be like, wait a second, who's what what is going on? Have I missed this? Um, and and that that article kind of detailed that for me. It was like, wait, there's not like it's it's not fantastic journalism. Um, because you know, there's, there's a lot of nuances involved here and and they're kind of missing it and mischaracterizing it, but it's also, um, not being helped by, uh, some of the, um, politicians speak. So, ah, well, there you go. There you go, Don. I think, uh, I know you have a heart out in 10 minutes, so I think we should probably Mm -hmm. call this a show. Well, and, and also the people that are interviewing me in 10 minutes are saying, Hey, can you do the interview early? And I'm oh. like, I'm recording a podcast, so, so can, but I'm sure they would appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's call it a show and, um, check out uh, food safety talk on iTunes and rate us and send us comments and listener feedback's awesome. And don't forget to come see us, uh, at IAFP, uh, either in the formal, the non-formal settings of a reception or in the. A uh, formal recording time of twelve forty-five to be at the door on Wednesday, right? Room four, um, and that's assuming that we get this podcast posted before then. But oh, it's we gonna get should be able to do that. Yeah, okay, good stuff. All right, Don. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cool. Well, we don't need to spend much time because um, we know when we're recording next. Okay. And, 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 we, you, and I've got this one. Okay. And do you want to make uh, a date to record after IAFP? Yeah, absolutely. Um, shall we do it? Um, let me look here. The week of the 24th, if we're looking there, because uh, or the week of the 17th, what are you, what are you thinking? Oh, uh, either are okay. Okay. I would prefer. Let me see something here. I'm holding three days, mm. and and I need to only be there for two of them. Um, I'm I'm leaning towards Friday the twenty first. Fridays are generally not good for me. Okay. Uh, I could I could do the twenty first. Um, Let me see when I have to leave.
Sorry, now I gotta go look at flight times, which are not in mm-hmm. my. So I think, okay, I can't do Wednesday or Thursday, uh, 19th or 20th. Okay. How about uh, how the, t- the 26th or 27th? The 27th in the afternoon. Okay, so right, right after what? Writing yeah, breaks. Yeah, 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 right after. That's perfect. So 1 o'clock, let's say? Yep. All right, cool. Okay, sorry to have That's a okay. full like stroke there, um, <laughs> but, but, I, but we got it start, sorted out. Uh, okay, so and I've got the audio for this. I'm gonna do it tonight. Okay, and then we're we'll have it up. Sounds good. I will. Heck, put I might the, even do it right now. Awesome. I will put the uh, the show note uh, links to into the Dropbox. Perfect. Thanks, Don. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.